What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there, and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does. Get back here! I said get back here now! Stop! You take one more move, mister. D don't you dare! If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo! He touched the butt. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. I'm Rick. I'm Julia. And this time around, we are watching our kid movie hiatus episode to wrap out this season. And we have chosen to watch 2003's Finding Nemo. <laughs> Finding Nemo was directed by Andrew Stanton and Lee Uncritch. It was written by Andrew Stanton, Bob Peterson, and David Reynolds. It stars Albert Brooks, Ellen DeGeneres, and Alexander Gould as the little fish Nemo. So there are a lot of different options that we could have taken with this final hiatus episode. We could have watched another Happy Feet movie. There is a Happy Feet sequel. We could have watched the kids movie Andre, where Tina Majorino hangs out with a sea lion. I think the major reason we did not watch Andre is because we've already seen Tina Majorino as a child actor. And we didn't want to subject ourselves to more. Of that. <laughs> yeah, nothing against Tina Majorino's acting abilities because I think she's fine. We're just not that into kid actors. Not really. That being said, we are about to watch a film that is based around a kid, but it's a split narrative. So we don't have to spend all of our time with a child. I think Finding Nemo is a good option for us because we are returning to the ocean. Yeah, we're also returning to the plot point of a child being lost mm -hmm. and a parent and parental figure having to go after the child. And the fact that they're all going to Australia doesn't hurt either. We get the return of our old friend Bruce Spence. He plays one of the sharks, I believe. Oh, yeah. But aside from him, this cast is stacked. Oh, my gosh, it is. This cast is bonkers. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres as Marlon and Dory, our two adult mains. But then when we start getting into some of the side characters, Willem Dafoe is Gil, which I'm pretty sure is the black and white fish. Yeah, the one who's all ominous. Yep. Brad Garrett shows up as one of the fish oh, named Bloat. Yeah, the tank fish. He's like the wide one, right? Yeah, the puffer fish. The sea star is Allison Janney. Yep. It's one of my personal favorites. Jeffrey Rush shows up. Andrew Stanton's there. There's a lot of big names that Pixar got for this movie. Do you remember the last time you watched this movie? Oh, heavens. No, it's been a really long time. The most recent Nemo movie I have seen was number two. So earlier than that. Mm. Very long time ago. I'm trying to think back... Where I was in 2003, I was definitely a teenager, definitely not in the demographic for Finding Nemo. I do remember seeing it around that time, but it's not one that I went back to again and again and again. Same. I have seen it a number of times, at least three or four times. Mm. 
but not recently. I would say, let's see, it's 2022. I would say it's been at least 15 years since I've seen this movie. So it's not like we're going to be watching it for the first time. Um, no, but we're going to be watching it with different eyes. Yeah, first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. There's been at least, I would say, a decade for the both of us yeah. since the last time we watched this movie. So I'm hoping to find some fun aspects to it that I can come back and talk about. I'm certainly expecting to enjoy this computer animated children's movie more than Happy Feet. <laughs> I know I keep beating that dead horse. I'm expecting to just thoroughly enjoy myself, have a good time. This is a phenomenal movie. I'm looking forward to watching it with a new set of eyes. I love, love, love watching a movie again after having like a 10 year break from it. Yeah. Because it's just a completely different movie to you. Plus, one of our favorite things to do is go to aquariums. And this movie is practically an aquarium. It is. So we have that to look forward to, I guess. So with all that being said, we are going to play the trailer for everybody to listen to. And when we come back, we will have freshly watched this movie that neither of us have seen in a long time. <laughs> I got something to tell ya! Mine. Don't make any sudden moves. Hop inside my mouth if you want to live. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, wait to cross. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. How's it going, Bob? That's a big place to find one fish. Has anybody seen my son? Your son, Chico? No, it's Nemo. We're looking for Nemo. <laughs> Name's Crush. I gotta find my son, Nemo. Grab shell, dude. Grab what? To find Nemo. Let's ask for directions. No! What is it with men and asking for directions? We'll take a miracle. Yeah, I saw him, but I'm not telling you where he went. Ah! All right, I'll talk, I'll talk! Getting him back is a whole other story. <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. We're gonna help him escape. Nemo! Up. Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. I'm coming, Nemo! God damn it, you, my father! Come on, good hug. Oh, my stomach. No hurling on the shell, dude, okay? Just waxed it. You've got to see it. Charge! To believe it. Nice. Finding Nemo. And we're back. I will freely admit that I didn't feel very enthused about this movie in the beginning when we were doing our first half. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to actively engage this movie to see, is it going to grab me like some movies do? Yeah. There were times where I felt engaged and there were other times where I felt like I wasn't that pulled into the movie. But that's a long and roundabout way of saying that I took notes. 
Okay. So you have ideas and little, thoughts. Little things that I noted down that I want to bring up in our discussion here. So okay, coming right out of it, how did you feel about the movie? I felt like it was exactly what I remember it being. My time away from the movie did not add anything to the movie. Yeah, and I don't know what that says about it. Mm, it could go one of two ways. One is that it's just not that deep. <laughs> Which is ironic, considering that like a major plot point of the movie is they go down below, what is it, the phototropic layer or something like that? Yeah. Or it has depth, but it doesn't mask that depth. It doesn't hide it. That it's right. easy to see, and I have already seen it. That's an excellent point. Which I think it's B. I think the story does have depth to it about friendship and loyalty about parenthood and letting go mm-hmm. that whole thing about trust about trust in others as well as trust in yourself and your own abilities i think those things those morals just aren't that hard to find yeah i don't think that's a bad thing when you have a g-rated kids movie right it's a kids movie you this know. is not one of those kids movies that has a whole nother sublayer for adults mm-hmm. It doesn't need to. The morals that are on the surface level are for everybody. So getting into the plot. In typical Pixar fashion, the movie uh, starts yeah. off with tragedy. I definitely did not find it as heart-wrenching as the opening to Up. I think well, that, that yeah, will no. always be the most utterly soul-destroying few minutes of dialogueless media. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I was really distracted by the post-Barracuda attack scene because Marlin is swimming around frantically shouting out for Coral, which is the name of his fishmate. It just so happens that in the show The Walking Dead, the main character of Rick, who always appreciate a character named Rick, probably my favorite character, even though I've never actually watched the show, but his son is named Carl. And Rick spends a lot of time in that show yelling after Carl. The same way that Marlon spends most of the movie yelling after Nemo? The exact same way, because when Rick says it, sometimes it comes out as Carl. Oh, yeah. He's kind of a bit of a Southern boy, right? Yeah. I've also never seen The Walking Dead. So when Marlon is yelling, Carl, all I can hear is Carl. So, I mean, that's ruined for me, I guess. Definitely not a problem I had back in 2003 when the movie came out. (laughs) I definitely appreciated the tragic opener. This movie does a really good job of telegraphing what emotions you're supposed to be feeling on screen. Mm -hmm. When we're in the coral reef, everything is big and bright, like overly so. But in that scene, we're on the drop-off. We're on this line between the big and the bright and the deep and the dark. We know that we're about to go from one to the other. So I definitely appreciate that bit of visual storytelling. Hmm. And it sets us up for the movie. I mean, it helps to know why Marlon treats Nemo so protectively. I guess it's interesting to know why Nemo has a little fin. I think that's not necessary. But it's okay. We know it's from the attack. 
Do you get the sense that before Coral was killed and all of the eggs were lost, with the exception of the one with Nemo, that Marlin was an essentially different personality altogether? Because he seemed so much lighter. Absolutely. He was playful and joking and wasn't afraid of the drop-off at all. Mm -hmm. He knew his place, but he wasn't afraid of the boundaries of that place. So it really shows the extent of that post-traumatic trauma. Oh, something that I never noticed before that I saw this time is that Coral and Marlin had just gotten this lovely place on the drop-off. It's desirable and great schools and all of that kind of stuff. And then the attack happens and tragedy. And then we jump to Nemo as a grown child. Mm -hmm. And they don't make a big deal of it, but they no longer live in the same anemone. It's an anemone like in the center, you know, Mm -hmm. inside the reef, more protected. I'm not sure that that's as obvious as it should be because in all of my previous watchings, I thought they still lived in the same house, the same anemone. It well, just occurred to me that, no, he wouldn't stay in that anemone. He would move to a different one. Yeah, it was a bold move thinking that you could raise a family on the edge of a predatory zone, but you know. If this was a movie we were going over minute by minute, I would have done all sorts of research into clownfish eggs. But I do wonder, they laid 400 eggs. How many are, do they really expect to survive? Right. You know, survive hatching, survive to be independent, survive to adulthood, not 400. Like the whole point of laying that many eggs is so that you play a numbers game. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, they won the numbers game. One child survived. I guess, yeah. Although they did not increase the supply of clownfish. They broke even. So (laughs) not numbers game. Now, this being a Disney movie, it is not a musical. But the scene where Marlon is taking Nemo to school for the first time is definitely the the slipping through my fingers moment. You know, school bag in hand. He leaves home in the early morning waving goodbye with an absent-minded smile. (laughs) (laughs) See, we watched... Mamma Mia recently, so. Yes. Speaking of singing, the character of Mr. Ray, the school teacher for yeah. all of these young fish, he is almost constantly singing, and I almost, almost feel bad that all of this work was put into his songs, and we never actually hear them very clearly. They're always existing in the background. I wish that amongst the Disney song verse that's just out there that a proper recording of that song (laughs) recorded by bob peterson was there included and Mm. that would be so much fun this is one of those songs that you get stuck in your head i don't know the words but if i did it would get stuck in my head yeah he's just listing things he's like let's sing about the The layers of the ocean ocean. different species that live in the reef and it sounds very educational of a sort you know probably a a way to memorize that sort of thing which would be helpful we don't know the names of the layers of the ocean nope so it would be helpful to us (laughs) i mean it would have been very helpful back in the episode where we were talking about the layers of the ocean but you know better late than never Mm. i mean at this point we're edging more towards never but i digress (laughs) 
I was quickly reminded, especially once we got into the, like the classroom scene and all that kind of stuff, how quotable this movie is <laughs> and how much in my early 20s being goofy with my friends, we would quote this movie. Talking about touching the butt. Especially about like touching the butt and all that kind of stuff. It's great. It's very funny. It's still funny. Even as a 40-year-old, it's still funny. I did appreciate the back and forth between Marlon and the other adults where they're like, oh, you're a clownfish. You're supposed to be funny. Tell us a joke. And he just cannot deliver a joke to save his life. Yeah. He's bucking the trend. He is. It's a common misconception. Yeah. So let's see. Nemo touches the butt. I did like that the kids continued to call it a butt even once the adults arrived and clearly called it a boat. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that the kids... They weren't paying attention to the adults. They didn't care what the adults said. They had in their mind what the subject was called. It's called a butt. They're sticking with it. Right. As we all know, Nemo is kidnapped and there is a shot after Nemo is brought onto the butt and it starts speeding away. It's an aerial shot looking down at the boat and we're looking at the surface of the ocean as it speeds along. And something about that shot in particular stuck in my craw. I don't think the ocean surface that the boat was on, mm -hmm. and the boat itself, for that matter, it didn't look very good. Considering all of the other water effects that we get in this movie, all of the other instances of boats and animals and other aquatic environments, that one shot, it was so bad to me that I put it down in my notes saying, yeah, it looks bad. There was something about the texture of the water, like surface water. Yeah. The whole movie. Seen from above specifically. Yes. Below it looked great. Yes. Seen from above that I agree was just off and not as high quality. And I don't I don't know if that was by design, telegraphing something, or if it's just they didn't put the money into it. Right. You know, put the interns on the top of the water and everybody else can work on the underside of the water. Right. The underside of water. <laughs> this movie does take a few minutes to get started. I don't recall exactly how many minutes it is until Marlon starts going to find Nemo. But it's a bit. It's mm. probably, what, maybe 10 minutes? It's a while. It is. And it feels like a while. Mm. But I do appreciate that Marlon does not even pause to swim after the boat. Oh, yeah. Once the element of the boat is introduced and Nemo is taken, Marlon doesn't sit there and hem and haw, oh, should I go? No, he's out like a shot yeah after that boat and remind me well it's not that he never hesitates throughout his adventure but he is always moving forward his way moving forward is not always in a straight line it zigzags all over the place mm -hmm. and sometimes he's hesitant about those zigzags but never does he think oh i can't do this i'm going home yeah he exercises extreme caution but yes. he is always moving towards his goal. What did you think of Dory's introduction to the story? Because I got major flashbacks to Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace with Liam Neeson running into Jar Jar Binks. Because that's exactly how they played it up in this movie where Marlon was just swimming along as fast as he could and he barreled headlong into Dory and that's her character introduction. That's very true. It is pretty much exactly the same thing. And, you know, the paths diverge from there. But it does seem like a fairly reliable way to bring a character in. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was stellar, mm. her introduction. 
I don't have any real ideas about what it could have done better. This movie is overall well-paced, but there are still some parts that drag a little for me. And this is kind of one of them. This is a medium scene for me. There's a lot of side tangents that happen in this movie. Little vignettes that we hit along the way. There doesn't seem to be long stretches where we don't change environment somehow. Which is great for kids. Oh, absolutely. It keeps kids engaged to continually go from environment to environment, scene to scene, action piece to action piece. And it's fine for adults too. But what I found frustrating, and I think I've always found frustrating, is, and Marlon brought this up at one point, maybe halfway through the movie, he says to Dory, okay, I'm going to continue on here by myself because you are a delay fish. You cause (laughs) delays. I'm like, yeah, she does. Now, I think the point is lost because she then immediately goes, oh, no, 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 I'm going to fix your problem one sec. But she does that. She keeps causing delays, but then solving problems. Yeah. So he can't do it without her, but it's incredibly frustrating to do it with her. So he tries to choose the other path to do it without her. He's not paying attention that she's the only reason that he's made any progress at all. I found that very frustrating. I absolutely see it from his point of view of her being a delay fish. Mm-hmm. I don't have recurring dreams so much as I have recurring themes of dreams. And it's usually about delays, about I need to get someplace. I have a deadline. I have a plane to catch. I have to get to school on time, something like that. I need to be to a place at a certain time and I can't get there because things keep pulling me away. That's exactly what's happening. It's my nightmare. Speaking of nightmares, I really like how the sharks are introduced seemingly out of nowhere. They just turn around and there's Bruce, the giant shark. There's just something really charming about all three of the different sharks. They are great. And of course, Bruce Spence is one of them. He's Mm. chum. I think Chum is the skinny one, the one that does the dolphin impression, right? He's got the weird hook He's got through a his hook nose, through or his nose. Like that. right? And then Anchor is the hammerhead shark, voiced Who's by voice- Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Yep. I never knew that. The Incredible Hulk himself, and then Barry Humphreys is the guy who voices Bruce. What else has he been in? I feel like I vaguely recognize his face. I think I recognize his voice. Oh, he was in the Hobbit. Anything. Like he was the voice of the Great Goblin. But other than that, I'm not seeing a lot of things that I recognize him from. Nope, me neither. And I wouldn't recognize him from The Hobbit. I saw that movie once, and I watched a version of the three movies cut together. Yeah. And I didn't realize that's what I was watching at the time. Okay, yeah. Oh, interesting. Barry Humphreys is the guy who plays Dame Edna. So that Dame Edna drag act is Barry Humphreys. Okay, yeah, that rings a bell. Okay. Yeah, they're a great trio. I do appreciate that they seem to have a deep-seated hatred of dolphins, which makes sense to me because if you are a shark and you take fish completely out of your available pool of options. Diet? (laughs) Of diet. You know, it would make sense that they would then go after dolphins and other sort of sea mammals. Yeah, I was wondering what they eat. Dolphins? Because they don't eat, like... Any sort of plant life, they don't have the ability to digest that stuff. They have to eat something. So whales, dolphins, other things like I'm sure they eat octopuses and stuff like that. But 
But why are those those things any different than fish? Right. Fish like marlin and dory don't make a difference to them. They're too small. Why would they eat them in the first place? Why would they eat them in the first place? <laughs> I don't know. But I thought it was a nice gag. I like that Dory getting a little bit of a nosebleed sets Bruce off. And I love how when the sharks are in their friendly version, they have like normal eyes. But as soon as Bruce gets set off on his feeding frenzy, like his eyes go black. Ooh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Glossy and black like a doll's eyes. <laughs> Speaking again to the animation of this movie, that little blood drop and the way that it gets sucked up into his nostril is just really lovely. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Speaking of little animation things, when all of the sea mines explode and there's the little bubble of air that pops up next to the two birds oh, yeah. and the one turns to the other one and goes, nice. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, fart jokes. Love it. <laughs> But of course, all of the shenanigans with the shark and them going down to the bottom of the ocean with the anglerfish, that's where we discover that there's an address on this pair of goggles that they found that fell off the boat. And they're going to 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney, Australia. And I jumped on Google Maps and I'm like, well, is there actually a 42 Wallaby Way? There is a 42 Rock Wallaby Way over in Blacksland. New South Wales. So if you go to Sydney and you head west into the suburbs, you'll eventually hit Blacksland and then you can go around to Rock Wallaby Road. So it's not Wallaby Way. Yeah. But there's like a some business out at the end of that road or something like that. I think it's like an auto shop. I don't know. I looked at it while I was also trying to pay attention to the movie, but it does kind of bum me out that there is no 42 Wallaby Way oh my in real goodness. life because Disney imagine? would probably buy it. Do you imagine how swamped it would be? Oh my goodness. Bananas. So we get through a couple of vignettes. I got a little lost here in the middle. Mm -hmm. I did find a fun detail. When Marlon and Dory run into the school of fish that do their impressions, when they transform into a boat, the fish in the school start to sing a little song. And the song that they sing is Whale of a Tail, yeah. which is the song from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Who Nemo is named after. Exactly. Yeah, it's the song that oh. the sailor sings. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, that's that's fun. That's I've fun never detail. seen that movie. I have no idea what you're talking about. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Disney version. Yeah. That's a good one. I, it's old. It's an old ass movie. I know about that movie is that it's Captain Nemo. It's all I know. <laughs> well, it's very different from the Captain Nemo in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. There's a Captain Nemo in there, too. <laughs> I really like the, I guess, montage that we get of the different sea creatures relaying Marlin's story because they go through the jellyfish, they meet up with the turtles, the turtles pass along the story, and at one point we get the Boston Lobsters. I did appreciate the East Coast representation. They might be my favorite side characters of the minor ones <laughs> that we... <laughs> scuttling along the bottom and they're just speaking with their heavy Boston accents. Hey, Bob, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. It really did open up the scope of this movie to be worldwide. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at the East Australian current, it goes from the Great Barrier Reef down to Sydney. That's it. That's the scope of this movie. 
It's not that far. I mean, it is because Australia is on a larger scale than we are accustomed to here in New England, but it is relatively contained. Mm -hmm. They're not crossing an ocean here, but bringing in that montage of the storytelling and bringing in all those locale cues that everybody, you know, from all over get a little kick out of, including us, really makes it feel worldwide. It makes yeah. the adventure seem all that much bigger. Speaking of dialects, speaking whale is probably the one thing from this movie that has stuck with me most. It's classic now. The idea that you just drop your voice down a little bit low slow and it's very down. slow talking whale. And so I, I, I got a and little smile. it works. That's how you up. speak whale. Yeah. I got a kick out of that. Yes. Seeing that again. I got a kick out of watching Marlon's character arc. Mm -hmm. Watching him loosen up. Watching him, the first time that I can think of where he really loosens up and has fun again is with the jellies. Mm -hmm. Where he is once again being joyful and playful that we saw him with, with Coral in the beginning. Of course, he's immediately punished for that levity. Yeah, which is unfortunate. That Dory takes it so hard, like she gets hurt so much mm. while he's having fun. That leads us into the introduction of the turtles, fan favorites, mm -hmm. of course. They're a ton of fun and provide some reference point, some grounding of our locale. Mm. It's the first time that we have really had a defined, this is where we are sort of thing. So they are on the East Australian Current. They're heading south. I think it's really an interesting interpretation of a current in the water, which yeah. I don't think is that far off scientifically, because in the ocean, there are, I guess, objects of different kind of water in the ocean. The ocean isn't just one thing. It's a lot of things pushed all together. So yeah, there is like a current that's just doing its own thing. While water over there is doing something completely different, especially for a kid's movie. I think that's a really good representation. Now, something that would absolutely go over a kid's head. I noticed this partway through. Dory can never remember Nemo's name. Dory can never remember Nemo's name. And so she's constantly giving him different names. And partway through, I realized she's calling him the names of the Marx Brothers. Chico, Harpo. Oh, my goodness. That's you know, so the funny. other ones that I can't remember. Right. I know Fabio is one of them. Mm -hmm. Is it just any name that ends with O? It might be that's the major overarching thing. But I was like, wait a second. Those are Marx Brothers. No kid would ever understand that. No, that very that was true. an inside joke. Yeah. So I guess there is something for adults. Yeah. Just for adults in this movie. Speaking of adults, I think the characters in the fish tank are definitely the most like, hey, look, look who we got. You know Willem Dafoe from all these things. You know Alice and Janney from all these things. And hey, Brad Garrett, he's on your favorite sitcom and whatnot. I really like the Fish Tank crew. And the whole like heist thing to get out of there was very fun. I absolutely agree. I think the Fish Tank crew were phenomenal. I like the, the heist aspect to it. I like the underlying story of they have been trying this time and time again, and it's never worked. Mm -hmm. Kind of brings in some sadness again. Helps with empathy and hoping, like motivation. Okay, you guys got to do it. You got you to gotta do it. You got to do it. And just helps to heighten the emotions because there are physical scars. 
that Gil is so motivated to get out. Now, remind me, Gil is from the ocean, correct? Exactly. And everybody else is from pet stores and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So they should not get out. They're not equipped to live in the ocean. They are tank fish. <laughs> I would argue Gil is probably no longer equipped. I don't know. Yeah, but he's got that Willem Dafoe-ness about him. He very much does. Yeah. I did get a kick out of the fact that Allison Janney as Peach, her role in the tank is to watch what's going on outside of the tank and then turn around and convey that to the people inside the tank. And it's kind of a flip on what she did on West Wing where yes. she would... She was inside the White House and would turn around and tell everybody in the press pool what's going on. Oh, that's so funny. She's the opposite of a press secretary. <laughs> I am a little bummed out that we didn't get any sort of mention of staplers or burning somewhere place down because we had Stephen Root as Bubbles. Oh, but there was that same obsessive quality to his character, though. Yeah. Oh, I love it when the tank gets all dirty and the bubbles that come out of the trunk is just one, oh, it's so gross, one globule of a bubble. Mm. It's so gross and it looks so good and it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, something I never noticed before. Again, if we were doing this minute by minute, I would really examine this moment and get more details out of it. But the night where they initiate Nemo into the tank brotherhood, give him his new name of Sharkbait. They do this bit with the volcano and turning the bubbles way up. You can see when the bubbles get turned way up, bubbles flips out a little bit. Yeah. And he great. has to be like pushed back. Restrained. Like no, no. Yeah. yeah, he has to be restrained. It's Held so back. good. The character of Gurgle, which is the purple and yellow. The obsessive compulsive yes. little guy. He's a voice by Austin Pendleton. Who is also in West Wing. Oh, okay. Yep. As an accessory to the fish tank crew, we also have Jeffrey Rush as Nigel the Pelican, which he starts off as a very small role, but then he gets bigger as we have him crossing the lines between the two stories. Yes, he really is quite the bridge character, a linchpin in the story actually working out. Without him, I mean, Marlon and Dory, they make it to Sydney Harbor and they're just looking at all the boats, looking for one that looks familiar. Mm -hmm. Dory never saw the boat, not close up at least. How good of a look did Marlon really get at it? So honestly, what was their plan? That was a failure of a plan that they had. It's just find the boat. Okay, yeah. well, well, then what next? If you can find the boat, which they probably wouldn't have, what were you going to do then? Yeah. <laughs> so Nigel, the pelican, coming in and... Taking them to Nemo really was coming in clutch. Serendipity. I, yeah. The seagulls. What do you what do you think of the seagulls? They look to me like something out of a Wallace and Gromit movie, actually. Ooh. Yes, they do. They remind me very much of the penguin from the Wallace and Gromit shorts, the wrong trousers. Yep. The beady little eyes, the very long, rounded off head. It looks like something that belongs in that claymation movie. So Absolutely. That kind of distracted me. But it also is a very apt and accurate representation of what a seagull is. Right. And seagulls, we deal with seagulls mm -hmm. quite a bit here in New England. And this caricature of them is quite accurate. It's pretty good. They're a little much for my taste, but I can still appreciate how like funny they are. Mm-hmm. And I do know, I remember from when we got the DVD back when I was 
not a kid. I was a grown up, but you know, back when this came out, is that they had an extra on the DVD in each language that they did this in. Mine was in that country's language. <laughs> so there was this short where they showed you what the birds sounded like in a handful of different languages. It was very funny. I still, and I do it in my head, and I'm so grateful I don't do it out loud because I think I would become quite obnoxious quite quickly. When, you know, something is mine, and I'm claiming it as mine in my head, I'm saying, mine, mine, and I annoy myself doing it, so I'm just glad it's not an out loud habit. I want to push through to the end of the movie so that we can talk about critical reception and stuff like that. Yeah. I think the way that Gil shows Nemo how to escape from the net that the dentist used to try and scoop them out. I thought that was really nice that they brought it back at the end to let Marlin see how much Nemo has grown along his journey. I thought that was pretty nice because otherwise it would be like, oh, why do we need to put everybody in peril once again? But I can see the value of demonstrating to Marlin that even though he didn't see it, that his son has grown up. I agree. By that point in the movie, I was a bit tired of action scenes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of action scenes in this movie. So many. And they take a toll. So by the time we get to the end and the fish get swept up in the net, I'm like wiped out from action scenes. Yeah. I didn't want it. But you're right. It does convey an important message. Nemo got to hear the stories of what his dad went through. Mm -hmm. So Nemo knew about the growth that his dad had accomplished and it needed to go the other way as well. So yeah, we, we needed it. Now this movie is only a hundred minutes long, but with all of the different vignettes that we go through, I would say that it feels longer. I agree. It's a pretty tight movie and it accomplishes a lot. And I still wish it would cut scenes. All right, let's switch gears over into critical reception. Cause I definitely wanted to get to this from the beginning during its original theatrical run. Finding Nemo had a worldwide box office gross of $871 million on a budget of $94 million. Nice. The final box office total listed on Wikipedia is $940 million. So the, it essentially did 10 times its budget back in the box office, which is crazy. Wow. It was the second highest grossing film of 2003. What was the first one? The first highest grossing movie of 2003 was The Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, no competition. Like, you can't. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Finding Nemo beat out The Matrix Reloaded, which came in at number three. Okay. And to finish out the top five for 2003, Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl was number four, another Jeffrey Rush movie. And number five was Bruce Almighty. Those all sound like they're in their proper place. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Bruce Almighty, when Finding Nemo came out in theaters, it bumped Bruce Almighty from the number one spot in the box office that weekend. It also surpassed its predecessor, Monsters Incorporated, for having the highest domestic opening weekend for an animated film. And it would hold that record until Shrek 2 took it on the following year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for this movie, during its second weekend, it dropped to the number two spot behind Too Fast, Too Furious. A lot of um, sequels and franchise movies. I know, right? In there. That's all very interesting because you're pulling out a lot of different audiences there. Yeah. Interestingly enough, on its third week in the box office, it bumped back up to number one. 
I would think that that speaks to the quality of this movie that it can above the quality of Fast and the Furious. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about film movies in its fourth week in theaters, Finding Nemo was bumped out of the number one spot by Hulk. Eric Bana's Hulk? Yes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> what a weird few weeks in I movies. I know. 2003 was a weird year to begin with. Yeah. Probably the most surprising detail about Finding Nemo is that when it went to the DVD market, it holds the record, according to this article on Wikipedia, of having the most DVD sales in the United States of any movie. Really? Yeah. Most DVD sales of any movie ever in the United States. Yeah. Wow. I absolutely believe it. This is ridiculously extreme family movie. Mm -hmm. Now, the numbers that I'm seeing are not mind-blowing or anything like that. But then you have to remember that this is physical media. So Finding Nemo has the number one spot with uh, 38,800,000 DVDs sold to get the number one Holy spot. Holy cow, 38 million Cars DVDs. is at the number two spot with only 23 million. So it is a big gap between the number one and the number two spots. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, the 2002 Spider-Man movie is in the number three spot with 19.5 million. And the number four spot is The Dark Knight. And that's 19.2 million. So those two are actually really close. Man, they're just all blown away by Finding Nemo. Yeah, with 38.8 million DVDs sold, which is crazy to me. Now, switching over to the review sites on Rotten Tomatoes, Finding Nemo has a 99%. Dang after right. 269 critic reviews and an average rating of 8.7 out of 10. On Metacritic, the film has a score of 90 out of 100 based on 38 reviews, indicating universal acclaim. And audiences polled on CinemaScore gave the film a rare average grade of A+. Finding Nemo was one of those movies that is already a classic. It is just beloved all over the place. It has appeal to all sorts of age groups. Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert gave the film four out of four stars, calling it one of those rare movies where I wanted to sit in the front row and let the images wash out to the edges of my field of vision. Okay. When was Toy Story? It was mid-90s, right? Like mm -hmm. 95, 96? So we're not in the very beginning of good CGI, but we're still in the early years. Yeah. So Toy Story it's was 1995. 95, uh, okay. Finding Nemo's eight years later. So eight years later. I think we're still early enough in its history for people to just be floored by what it can do. Good CGI movies, Pixar, because they continue to do excellent CGI work. Their movies get acclaimed as beautiful still, but I don't think they're received the same way as Finding Nemo was mm. because we're more accustomed to it now. Now, you've seen the sequel to this movie, Finding have. Dory. Have you not? I have not. Oh, dear. We need to watch it before we go on vacation. Because a big set piece in the sequel is Monterey Bay Aquarium, which we're going to. So in order to fully appreciate. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, we need to find all the movies that take place in Monterey Bay Aquarium. I guess so. And watch them before we go. All right. Well, let's start with our least favorite things, and then we'll move on to what we liked most about this movie. Okay. So you've been hinting at something that you did not enjoy in this film, and I, let's get into that. What was your least favorite thing? I found the adventure vignettes excessive. I got tired of them. 
Specifically, I really hate to say it. I'm so sorry, but starting at the sharks and going up to the jellyfish, it dragged. I know that all of those things are the story. Those are the adventure that gets told across the ocean and reaches Nemo's ears. So I don't doubt that those vignettes were necessary. My brain just glosses over them. I find them tedious. Yeah, that's my least favorite part. All right. How about you? My least favorite part of this movie is Marlon. I don't care for him. I find his neuroticism very grating. I find his slow personal growth to be very annoying. And uh, yeah, he's, he's my least favorite character. He's my least favorite part of the film. And that's really unfortunate because he is arguably the main character. Yes. And I just do not like him. Bouncing off of that, the way he treats Dory. Oh, yeah. Marlon can be cruel. He is so dismissive and he talks down to her. Mm -hmm. And it's awful. And it's so frustrating the way that he treats her. I don't know why she attaches herself to him. Because she's attaching herself to a cause. Yeah. That's why. That's why him. Because, oh, somebody needs help. I can help them. And I'm going to help them. And then having a cause and a purpose helps give her direction and helps her have an anchor. Mm -hmm. That anchor is Marlin. (laughs) How about your favorite thing? I think my favorite thing of this entire movie is when Marlin and Dory are swimming through the harbor in Sydney and they get scooped up by the one pelican. And the whole sequence from them getting scooped up to (laughs) Nigel bringing them up to the window at the dentist's office. Like that sequence is my favorite part of this film. Just the idea that they would fight their way up out of the gullet of one pelican only for another pelican to swoop in and be like, get in my mouth if you want to live. And then all of the nonsense involving a swarm of seagulls chasing this one pelican so that they can get to the fish inside of his mouth. It's just very fun and amusing. I have a good time every time that scene comes on. I know I already mentioned the Boston Lobsters, but I'm not going to build my entire favorite thing about Boston Lobsters. So, yeah, it's the Pelican scene. Excellent. My favorite part is in the way beginning when we are still in the reef. And it's just so bright and pretty. They portray the reef as a society. And there's that one red fish that stops traffic. I love it. Everything is so bright and shiny (laughs) and uncomplicated. Right. Before the story gives us conflict. It's just so beautifully done. And as a non-scientific person, my perception is that it is a decent representation. It does seem like an extreme representation, but it does feel like there is some accuracy there. Yeah. It almost makes you sad that all the reefs are dying because they're getting bleached and microplastics are choking the animal life and all that other stuff. You know, just human things. Yes. A podcast that I listened to, SciShow Tangents, the subject this past week was reefs. Mm -hmm. So I've never really understood what reefs are. I mean, like, I get it. Coral is an animal. But I'm like, okay, well, how does that translate to that thing over there? And I've never really had a good grasp on that. And they explained it very well, sort of. Their style is very conversational. So I finally feel like I understand what a coral reef is. Mm. So that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's 
my favorite part. Honorable mention for sure to once Nigel scoops Dory and Marlin up in his beak, takes him up to the dentist's office, when chaos just breaks wide open and Nigel goes into the office and everything's just flapping around and they're screaming and Darla has the fish bag and she's like shaking it. Why won't you wake up fishy? That whole thing. It just, it's so funny. Yeah. Definitely honorable mention to that. Darla is a terrifying character, but she is entertaining. It really helps that they literally give her the psycho music. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. We were skipping through the credits just to make sure that there wasn't a post-credit sequence. Because mm -hmm. we accidentally found a post-credit sequence on one of our favorite movies that we've seen like a dozen times. Just found it. So we learned our lesson. We were fast-forwarding to the very end. And I caught a glimpse of the list of songs. And the psycho music was on the list of songs. Absolutely. It was great. So given that we've watched a handful of different kids movies for these hiatus episodes, season one was Happy Feet, season two was Chicken Run, season three was Pocahontas, season four was The Rescuers Down Under, and now here for season five, we've got Finding Nemo. I would definitely rank Finding Nemo over Happy Feet, and I would also rank Finding Nemo above Pocahontas. Oh, definitely, yes. Would I rank it above? Above Chicken Run or The Rescuers Down Under, though? I think I would rank it above Chicken Run, but I would struggle to put it above Rescuers Down Under. Like, I love that movie. I really liked Chicken Run. If I had to rank them, I would probably go Chicken Run, Rescuers, then Nemo, then Pocahontas, then Happy Feet. I would put Finding Nemo right there in the middle. Yeah. Because... There's just something about The Great Escape with Chickens that I really appreciated. And, I mean, Rescuers Down Under is such a solid movie. It really so is. So good. It's so much fun watching that movie. But, yeah, this is not the worst kids movie we've ever watched. It was nice to go back to the water after spending so <laughs> many hiatus movies away from water. Yes. I think this one has the most broad appeal. Yeah. I think that's one reason why I think so highly of it is that it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And as an extension of that, I would recommend this movie to everybody. Oh, for sure. There are no caveats. Everybody go watch this movie. Like it's I said, a good time. It's 100 minutes. What do you got to lose, right? Yeah. Well, listeners, this is the official end to season five. Waterworld, H2O minutes at a time. We don't know exactly when season six is going to happen, but you can rest assured that when we know what's happening, you will hear about it right here on the feed. So keep an ear out for that, and uh, we hope you'll join us on the next go-round. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham, produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our website is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. Like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, And support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute. Happy we will be beyond the sea and never again I'll go sailing No more sailing So long sailing, sailing No more sailing